0: Welcome to Visionaries. I'm your host, Jacob Wolf, an award winning investigative journalist and the CEO and founder of Overcome. I am not hosting today's episode because we this episode is from last week. So instead, Pray hosted this episode. This episode is with Aframu. If you're unfamiliar with Aphramou, he is one of the longest tenured professional League of Legends players. He is also notably, or was, the only african-american player to ever play league of legends in a entire scene that has had thousands of players go through it in the past decade and he is the only one and i i know prime talked to him a little bit about this in the interview so Prame, I'll, I'll let you kind of take some lead here and and talking about it but i did get to go back and listen to it and yeah i thought it, it's not. I. He, I don't think he's been retired long enough. He's only been retired for the past few weeks. But I don't think he's been retired enough to like think about his broader impact. I think he stumped him a little bit yeah. with some of those questions too.
1: Yeah, and I think. I mean, I think that was a little bit of my. I don't want to say it was my intention to like ask hard questions, um, but realistically, yeah. He at, at the time he had been retired for less than a week, maybe by that point ten days, and. As at the time, the the longest tenured player, uh, someone who who has been playing professionally <clears throat> for over ten years, like it's gonna take him a, a few weeks, if not a couple months, to really kind of let the the yeah. impact of of his of his time in the league kind of settle in, because like there are a lot of people that for whom like Afro is is kind of central to their professional or professional league experience or, or or, in, in how much they've watched league. He's, he's been a mainstay. He's been, he's been kind of a, a, a vanguard of, of professional league play. He is the consistent, like stable kind of old guard of, of, of every team he goes to. He is, Someone that young players can look up to and learn from. He's someone that has consistently meshed well with old talent, and so yeah, I, I think when I asked him, like, kind of about his impact, both as the the longest tenured player, as the only player of color to to play in in the LCS, I, I think I may have preempted yeah. his ability to to answer that to the fullest ability, like. I, I I think we see it in, in in traditional sports a lot when when like a, a star player retires it's an overwhelming kind of emotional response from them the that final game from from whatever player it's a it's a really really like intense experience for them to to have that that first interview afterwards and to get a good for brand. a lot of players yeah. it it may take years to really process yeah to really process like what it means to to have been in that position for that long to have impacted and influenced so many people to have inspired so many casual players to to take it more seriously and so i'd love to get him on down the road again and 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 kind of run it back basically ask some of the same questions and and get a, a better sense of both his views on his impact on on league of legends as a whole but also his his views on what it means to have stepped away and and what the the kind of contrast has allowed him to accomplish in that time away
0: yeah, you know what's really interesting? He talked about this a little bit about basically being paid dirt wages and uh he is he's not the last of the remaining kind of old guard especially now that Doublelift is unretired and come back and is now playing on 100 Thieves. But uniquely, a lot of the professional League of Legends scene now is dominated by these young 17 to 23 maybe on the upside players who like the entire time that they've been doing this it's been a viable career path it's been mm-hmm. something that they could make you know six figures basically doing and be and pay for none of their living expenses so it's really i mean the bulk of it's just going to like wages and like clothes or whatever else right like they don't really they don't have to pay for the team house or the team apartment or whatever their arrangement is and so you know he is one of the few people that i think In a way, listening to him talk, it's clear, and I've I've met Zach before this too, but like it's clear he's very humble. I don't think he's necessarily thought about it from that perspective of like, man, I was like one of the last guys to like have that experience where it was like extremely hard to make this into a profession. Um, You know, obviously he reaped his benefits later down the line. I think he was pretty well paid in the the back half of his career, but at the front half, at least, it was it was a struggle. It was uh, this was esports was not what it is today, and the, the you know sort of venture capital money flowing around wasn't available so uh, i don't think he had really taken part of that but he did take he or taken sort of stock of that but i do think that yeah you know it's something he's thinking about you can tell when he answers and talks about sort of his experience coming up too
1: yeah i mean at the at the start of his career realistically the the pay wasn't as good but there was this kind of value trade-off where the pay not be may not be good but Free housing, free food, computers taken care of, and and rides to and from events. Which for for esports at the time, when it was it was still very much kind of burgeoning, that was great. Like most most players weren't able to to say they had that sort of support at that time, anyways. And and so yeah. he is yeah one of the the few that has seen kind of this multiple generations of of iterations of the league of of the money the the infrastructure the culture around it like all of those things have changed really drastically and really quickly and he has been there for
0: all of it all of it yep very crucially all of it um, well, that was a good introduction. Thank you, Pram, for giving over the breakdown. Thank you for hosting in my stead as well with of the course. crazy, crazy Austin power outages that were last week. But we're back to normal. We will be back on normal schedule from here on out. So without further ado, we'll dive into Prem's interview with Aphromoo.
1: As, as someone who's been playing League for as long as you have, um, kind of tell us about what your your kind of, I guess, impact is on on everything that, that's kind of developed over the last many years with League. You are someone that has become a, an identity, a, a face of a lot of teams and of a lot of communities. I think a lot of people really do respect the the impact you've had Both on NALCS as well as on a lot of teams, namely CLG, Hundred Thieves, and FlyQuest,
2: most recently. What my what my impact is, you want me to talk about? Yeah, yeah, it's a hard question to answer. I I just do what I can, you know. For most teams, Uh, usually most of the time, a lot of guys don't. Well, I usually have to help people learn concepts, you know, while we're Playing the game in practice or whatever, where it's, you know, how to play as a team most of the time. So usually that is what I do and what most of my guys know me for, I would say. Just being the calm, level-headed guy, you know, make the tough decisions during the game, stuff like that. So uh, other than that, just, I guess, since the beginning, helping the, well, I was there with the support role was just absolute trash. As well, being able to uh, overcome that, you know, getting paid just super low wage out here with wards and all that, no items, and moving on to where supports pretty much run most of the games. Like you can affect the map; you're probably the most important player early game into late game. Being able to snowball your team and stuff like that. Now supports have you know a much more defined role, and I was there since you know forever, so being able to be a playmaker and not just, you know, the little ward bot, it's pretty, been pretty awesome. That actually really
1: leads me into kind of one of the next topics and, and something that I'm personally really interested in. Um You have been there for multiple generations of, of players and of teams kind of coming and going. What are your kind of perspectives on, on how, the players in the LCS and the the way in which teams and organizations carry themselves in the LCS, out, how has that changed
2: over over your career? In the beginning, it was more player focused. I would say players had the power in uh, the orgs where you know whoever was going to be on the team, who you wanted to play with, how the team was ran. Usually, the players were self coached. We didn't really have coaches back in the day either. So that was the dynamic, and then over time, it started swapping towards more org. orgs having the power. You see them, you know, paying all these guys massive salaries and stuff like that. You know, I benefited, you know, at least a couple times throughout my career from all the uh, investors coming in for certain orgs and stuff like that. So that was pretty cool. And yeah, people have come and, come and gone. I think a lot of players definitely. Some players, I don't want to say ousted, just left early. I would say retired a little bit early when I think, you know, they could have played a lot longer. They had a lot more to give, but you know, it just didn't work out for them. Uh, other than that. Yeah. It's a big revolving door for most teams. Obviously it's hard to keep your spot, but uh, the guys who do stick around for a while, you know, it's good to see and definitely helps teams grow. Cause I do think uh, some, most teams definitely need veteran players. Not a lot. One or two is totally fine. Just to, Help smooth things over because you definitely need, you know, some sort of pillar that, you know, is stable, consistent. And then while, you know, your other guys learn around you and hopefully, you know, you can build a team style around that. So, uh, yeah, nowadays, like there's nobody really left. Obviously, you know, Doubles came back. Bjergsen came back from retirement as from coaching. And yeah, that's all I can really think of. Wild Turtles in Academy. Yeah, I don't know. Not a lot of us.
1: You you mentioned some players who who retired early or, mm. or left the league pretty early. To to my eye, as someone who who watched pretty, pretty closely from twenty twelve to twenty sixteen or so, it felt like a lot of players left when there was this that shift from the player focused to the org focused where mm. players realized they could make more money just doing content. Yeah. Do you think that some of those players, if they had stuck around, would have Continue to kind of be those veterans that 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 you became
2: oh yeah of course uh a lot of the guys that played early on in the days obviously learned league of legends the ins and outs everything macro wise and really only thing that does change is like the micro champion mechanics items is pretty much it so yeah i do wish you know i could still be playing against those guys or you know with that would be pretty cool but uh, it just happens like that, but uh, in terms of veteran, veterancy, yeah, it's hard to get the right kind of guys you want, because you definitely want, you know, really high mechanic carry players who, you know, can hold their weight, and then most of the time, it's always the support player who's going to be the veteran most, most of the time, and then usually you want your type of frontline player as well, so... Usually you'll see those guys around the scene for a while. Other than that, I mean, yeah, that's pretty much it.
1: Are there any of those kind of older players that they left kind of early and, and you wished you could have played with?
2: Uh, I did play with one. I would, the only one that comes to mind is Chouster. I thought he was really good. When I first joined CLG, he was on the team. So yep. he was, you know, double support <laughs> at the time. And then I came in and they made... They had me play support and then Chouster move roles to jungle, but he was just really good at the game. Like, he could play any role. Uh, I do think his main role, though, was playing mid lane. Once he... We had him sub in one time, I think, because I forget what happened. Somebody had to go do some real life stuff. And then when he played mid for us, it was just like, oh my God, this guy's insane. Like, he was playing against Reginald at the time, who was the best. And I was like, dude, he's just holding his own, you know, running, making calls and stuff like that. I was like, wow. So, you know, see team leave. I really enjoyed. Learned a lot from that guy too. So I'm probably biased, but, you know, it's fine.
1: <laughs> You've said that the, the league is, has changed. Do you think there were any kind of seminal moments that, that marked that change from a player-driven league to an org-driven league?
2: Mm, probably when franchising came. Franchising, Uh I think some orgs had some power. Like t- usually, like the, the main org, Cloud9, when they started, you know, in the beginning, TSM, who else, and CLG. I think those were like the main top three. Like those were started to be player driven at the beginning, into the you know the first start of LCS, and then you know once franchising started coming in, then it was like yeah, all the orgs have power pretty much. So I think it was just that
1: that moment kind of follow up on that uh how do you think that the league has has changed over the years obviously this that that shift from a player driven org to Mm -hmm. to a franchise driven driven league but do you think that the the way in which those those teams and the league as a whole have carried themselves do you think that's that's changed significantly uh for the better for the worse over the last 10 years
2: Change for the league? Uh, I'm biased because I I was more... I thought it was more entertaining when we had, like, road trips and whenever, you know, gaming can... Not gaming, I guess. Gaming events like PAX, IPL, IEM, and stuff like that were being hosted. And then, you know, Riot would partner... Not partner, just team up with these guys to have our event there. So I thought that was probably... The most interaction I would say I would have with you know fans being able to experience an event like that, hype around the event, you know, it's pretty fun. Uh, obviously, going to you know big venues and stuff like that is so cool, but I do do enjoy the road trips and having that change to where you know it's only in Santa Monica now for a regular season. That was it's a bit of a downer, you know. Uh, obviously, I wish. I wish I could go around into each city because, you know, obviously not all the fans can make it out to Santa Monica. Sometimes, you know, they'll come out for playoffs or, you know, whatever venue there is, you know, that's cool. But I thought that changed kind of, kind of let the hype go down a little bit, but it's okay. Other than that, obviously practice has changed so much over, <laughs> over the course of the LCS, you know, sometimes it's, it's some splits i don't know what's going on but 10 a.m wake up 11 a.m start practice or they'll swap it you know will be 12 p.m i think now this split they're doing two whole blocks with the break in between again where it's like the korean style practice that they do over in korea so eh, there's a lot of changes uh obviously when franchising came in i guess it's more job security for a lot of a lot of the guys where before you know you can just get dropped At any time, you can still have it happen now, but with the players union, that's what it's called. Yeah. With our players union, it's a lot more secure as well. So thank thank goodness we had that coming in. And other changes. Yeah. I mean, I've seen a lot of, a lot of team staff changing all the time. So, you know, don't see a lot of the, uh, old faces anymore, but a lot of people are coming into the esports scene, you know, getting their first job most of the time, or just helping work on, you know, the back end of staff, organization duties, whatever it might be. That's cool.
1: So you mentioned a couple of things that I, I I'm gonna definitely get back to. One being the players union, but uh with all the changes, one of the things that's been been happening at least to, to my eye, has been the, the way in which audiences engage with league content has, has changed a lot, where mm-hmm. those, those older events, the IPLs, IEMs, they, you had a handful of these events all year, which would draw huge viewership, and then the worlds, wherever it is, pulling in millions. Mm-hmm. While the worlds numbers have continued to, to go up year over year, the the viewership because of franchising and moving to Santa Monica having that studio the the viewership has has dropped how do you think that the the changes that that you've mentioned have kind of impacted the the enthusiasm for the player base and and their their interest in both the game and in league or in, in LCS
2: mm-hmm. if i was you know a fan of a team or a player I think it's most important you just figure out who you're actually the fan of and so obviously when you know your favorite player stops playing or you know whatever might happen moves teams either you follow or you don't so a lot of the old guard is gone now and all I can really think about is like a lot of us back in the day we're all streamed most of the time like it was easy to you know hop on Twitch or whatever it was, Justin TV back in the day, watch our stream, you know, learning League of Legends when it was first coming out and that definitely built a lot of the, you know, hype, I guess, around, you know, players and stuff like that and then over time, you know, you get attached to teams, whatever it might be and nowadays, you don't really see a lot of people streaming in general. It's mostly team content or you'll see them on LCS with uh, the LCS content that they do and obviously, it's a lot harder to build that sort of connection so that's why most I don't want to assume, but I think most, most fans are fans of teams. Or if you have, you know, old player coming back, like Doublelift, for example, and then, you know, everybody's super hyped. He's coming back, you know, that's sick. Uh, other than that, yeah, I think, you know, just based on, you know, what type of content you're viewing, And I do think every year it's always talked about, like, yeah, there needs to be more content around players. You know, you want to get attached to these players, learn about them. And I do think Riot's doing their best. In terms of that, uh, I know this year, I think this year, they're obviously, well, not obviously. This year, they're going in the right direction. I thought bringing on QD, uh, Cinderella mm-hmm. for the broadcast was super awesome. That was actually so funny. Wow. Her interview and doing a little baking stream of Spica, that was pretty cool. And then I know FlyQuest hired Ovly for their team content, which should be good. I really enjoyed you know Ovly on the broadcast Uh, right before. Uh... So, yeah, they just got to, you know, they're going the right direction right now. They just got to do more of that because a lot of us is I've experienced it where it's hard to stream nowadays in the LCS because my whole day is, you know, practice, review. And then most of the time, you're pretty tired after that. You don't really have the energy, you know, to interact or you'll do no cam, no mic stream, stuff like that. And so it's a lot more difficult.
1: Yeah, actually, we, we had overly on the on the show on Monday, uh, and and one of the topics that that came up was being able to tell stories and kind of spin narratives in the WWE or the, the, the LCS. The WWE. Oh, oh sorry, no, 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 man, my mind. I, I've I've been. I recently got into the WWE. Watched my my first pay per view this weekend, so I've been
2: oh, in, let's this, go. It's
1: been all in. That's
2: um,
1: But no, we we were talking about that and. We also actually had Cutie Cinderella on last year. And and Mm. when one of the audience members asked, like, what's her goal for 2023 was be on the LCS broadcast. Yeah. So she, she was able to to hit that one pretty quick. That's Um, kind of going back to that, that idea of, of storytelling. What do you think that Riot and the LCS could do better to kind of create those storylines and, and allow ways for audiences to connect with the stories of individual players.
2: Uh, well, like I said, right direction now. With uh, Cutie, hopefully you know she comes mm-hmm. back on more. Uh, other than that, obviously it's tough, but you definitely need someone you know, like Cutie Cinderella, who brings out you know the player's personality a lot easier. I know in general it's hard to tell you know what players' interests are. Obviously, you know, you have your journalists. Uh, you have Travis Gafford, who has good player interviews in general, you know, asks mm-hmm. about their interests and stuff like that. But uh, I do think it's more important that, you know, it's shown on <laughs> broadcasts where you have players that are acting. I know Bwipo comes on as a caster, analyst desk for that kind of stuff. But what I do notice a lot, I'll say, for instance, LEC, like their players are always... On the broadcast like it doesn't matter you yes. know who it is they're all over the place uh, it's very enjoyable to watch hearing their opinion you know either talk trash or anything like that so for lcs in general i would i would like to see that mark as well
1: you had mentioned the 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 kind of connection between fans being fans of a player versus a team and how you know in in the old days of LCS it was fans being fans of of individual players mm-hmm. when when those players change teams those fans kind of move with them do you think that it's just that the the franchising and and the added schedule that's that's led to that shift from players not being able to connect with the, the or fans not being able to connect with the players as much and connecting more with the teams
2: yeah I would say so or that comes to mind was like 100 days makes so much content you know around all their creators they had the heist when I was in the team for the players which was you know awesome but you don't really see those kind of reality shows with teams anymore because uh, all I can remember obviously is breaking point <laughs> but yeah you don't really see that too much anymore but following an org where they have you know all these creators who do different you know kinds of content whatever you know they're passionate about is you know i would think pretty cool and you know a big reason why you know a lot of people follow orgs and stuff like that
1: yeah do you just kind of a, a quick follow up do you think that it's do you think that it's it's sustainable in in the same way that i think a lot of in traditional sports most people just go to the team and and if their favorite player joins great if they leave get angry burn the burn the jersey do you think that that the this kind of shift is stable do you think that it'll continue this way where where people are fans of the teams and when their favorite player comes they celebrate
2: mm-hmm. the favorite player leaves they burn the jersey is that stable i mean but earlier, like I said, it's like a revolving door. All the teams changing players left and right. So it's obviously hard to support players because you don't know if they're going to be on a team next year. Maybe they're not. So you, obviously it's a lot easier to try to support the team with um, what they're giving. But sustainable? No. Probably not. Obviously you would like to have, you know, your, what is the word? Your franchise player on the uh on whatever team you know you're supporting for a couple years hopefully you know try to build around that and stuff like that but everybody's doing their best everybody wants to win and NA in general we haven't really done that well in an international competition in a long time so you know you just got to try to figure out the right puzzle pieces and if it's not working uh I do I think the only team I do think that The only two teams was the previous 100 Thieves uh, iteration where it was Closer, who he FBI, and that core stuck around. So you definitely need a core on your team. So I do think having a core like that, very important to success. Uh, those guys play really well. They had you know immense pressure when they were together, and now they're split. But I think CLG is also doing the same thing where they have the same actual five players on the same roster, uh, ability and able to build synergy and stuff like that. I think it's hard. If let's say you go three months, you try to get this iteration to work. We're going to swap it again the next three months where maybe one player stays and it's hard to get a good core that, you know, enjoy playing together, build the uh, cohesion synergy up. And I think having a good core also helps you in terms of, you know, being able to be fans of a team who are, you know, working towards a goal where it's not changing every three months. Uh, yeah. So I know I was on CLG myself where we, we were together for a long time and, you know, build that type of cohesion. So I think that type of thing is very important.
1: Speaking of, of CLG, I was talking to Jacob about this earlier and, and when we were going and doing a little bit of, of research as, as someone who kind of stepped away from League, I, I had to brush up on, on what you've been doing for the last few years. Yeah. Um, and I realized that you are the only player of color to play in the LCS or in any of the, the major regions. Mm. Like I personally, I very distinctly remember when back then Scion Spartan, now Darshan mm. uh, joined in the league. And as an Indian dude in college, who was playing a lot of league, like I let my grade slip because I wanted to play more, get better. and And Darshan really kind of inspired me to want to be better at league rather than just kind of, being bad, being mm-hmm. hard, stuck silver. Uh, <laughs> oh man, I was I was terrible for a while, and and tough, genuinely when 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 Darshan started and I started being more kind of gung ho about like thinking about the game is when I rose up into high plat and then eventually diamond. Yeah, what do you think about your role as the only player of color to to be in the LCS and and kind of what are your perspectives on? the the lack of kind of that diversity within in professional play?
2: Well, first, I, w- I wasn't actually the only. There was also Noxiac in LCS, or LEC, sorry. Oh, uh, shoot, and yeah. then before LCS, I think in like one of the LCS promo attorneys with uh, Bishu, there was uh, Bobby Hank Hill, another person of color. Uh, there was also Hood Stomp, So I know all the guys that were, you know, going up with me. Uh, those two guys that I said last didn't make it, unfortunately. But Noxiac was a support in LEC. I think he played for Fnatic at the mm-hmm. time, and he's now coaching some team I forget about. So, but now I think, uh, I think in other regions, there's also a couple of players of color. Uh, I can't re- remember off the top of my head, but for l- LCS, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm probably the only one. Uh, I think growing up, obviously, for me, a little. I was playing basketball more than I was playing (laughs) computer games, but obviously there was a switch when I was growing up, where I started playing more computer games. It was like high school and stuff like that, and uh, I think I was just fortunate that you know my father is super gamer. Like when I was growing up, he had a PC, he was playing StarCraft all the time, Diablo, so and then I got my own, and I just you know pretty lucky because you know not a lot of uh, kids have access to that kind of thing. So you can't really practice, you know, your computer skills. You're most of the time going to school, you know, playing sports and stuff like that. Where you know, getting a basketball a lot cheaper than buying a PC. So that's what you can do. But I know the fighting game community in general. A lot of people of color over there, like those guys, monsters. And I think eventually, you know, it'll start getting a lot better where uh, social media is becoming a big thing. Everybody's on social media. You know, playing PC games is now looked good upon instead of, you know, calling them a nerd back in the day. We we're like, what the hell are you doing, bro? Also anime. a lot of people are getting into, you know, all that's coming out and people are like, wow, this is actually pretty good, you know? So, but yeah, being the only person of color, <laughs> it's cool, you know, it's cool. Have you, think-
1: have you ever considered... Kind of uh, trying to do any initiatives into increasing diversity within the league, or or in in developmental leagues.
2: Yeah, I think that would be awesome. Uh, I've never really done anything like that, but I know I would definitely be down to uh, do anything like that. Whether it be you know with land centers, uh, hosting tournaments and stuff like that. You know, that's what I can think of off the top of my head. But I w- I would enjoy getting into that. So afra you
1: have i think supported more players than any other support to my knowledge
2: maybe i've never really thought of that stat so <laughs> <laughs> I, I, don't know. I
1: i looked through the the all of the big supports that that I could find and you were the one that you had 12 teams 17 adcs i think to my count hmm Uh, And the next highest I could find was 12 with one of the Korean supports, I believe.
2: Maybe it's core? I don't know. I think it might have
1: been. Maybe it's core. Uh, Maybe. But you have seen a lot of ADCs, a lot of of these these bot lane combos, and you have consistently adapted to, to the meta, whether it's been AP bot lanes, tanky bot lanes engage bot lanes yeah in in your time playing has there been a meta that you have just hated that you you just wanted to be done with and move on so you can get to the whatever the next one is
2: meta that i hated no i just hated champions i would say
0: <clears throat> i think Anything bot lane. in particular
2: oh uh, particular champions that i hated i hated the uh the uninteractive lane where let's say you're uh, Zyra bro just spawns a plant and you're getting poked like what is that bro i hate that shit. <laughs> it's so stupid i'm fighting plants i'm yep. not even fighting a champion so other than that when Azir was first released as well the so anything that like annoys me as a support so when Azir was first released his soldiers could kill wars over the wall and you can't even do anything is interactive, so you put down a pink boop, boop, boop. He kills it from like two screens away. It's like uh, that is balanced, bro. And then other than that, is just anything that just impossible to play against. Like Kazix, when they gave him the stealth buff, where he walks into a bush, gets invisibility, and so they had these little routes where you know it was the normal support warding route, but kha'zix could just walk in the first brush and then be stealth through all the brushes, and then out of nowhere, I get one shot like. Okay guys. Uh, that's pretty fun. And then when Zoe was first released, so it's a lot of on release champions. Zoe first released, one-shotting me out of nowhere. That's crazy. And yeah, that's about it. Uh I think playing with my time playing with a lot of 80 carries. Uh it doesn't really matter what the meta is. All that's important is, you know, being able to communicate and I'm pretty I think I'm pretty good at that. Just you know, getting on the same page. Yeah, if we don't agree, being able to come to a middle ground with my eighty carry on to what we want to do, and then just being able to support his play style—whether he's aggressive, whether he's more of a passive farmer kind of guy—and yeah, that's just one of my strong skills to have. And it doesn't really matter who who my eighty carry is. You know, I can acclimate to whoever. Before we had started the
1: interview, you were saying that retirement doesn't really feel that different because you're still playing the game a lot now that you are kind of taking a single step back you've 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 gotten one step past the this this retirement um do you think you're going to be playing primarily league moving forward or or kind of what are you hoping to to do with your content and and with your your professional life
2: we'll be doing watch party of lcs that's for sure mm-hmm I'll probably finally do my placements for this season. (laughs) We'll see how that goes. Other than that, I love playing FPS games my whole life. I think my first actual, like, not my first. I mean, all all of my games, I'm always PvP focused, but the most fun one I ever had was like Unreal Tournament 2004. It's an FPS game way back in the day. I love that game. So FPS, I love FPS. Like, I'm sorry. So I'm always playing a lot of Apex right now and Valorant. In general, I do like Apex a lot more because of the fast movement. But in terms of content, yeah, probably be a lot around the watch parties and how teams operate. You know what they're thinking here, stuff like that. And then hopefully, you know, start playing a lot more with friends because usually I'm practicing most of the yeah. time. The only sad part about League of Legends right now, I would say, is what you can't duo pass master. Oh yeah. So that. Is probably the worst part about playing league right now so yeah
1: as I'm sure everyone else on my team would also agree as someone as people who have always been bad that's we've never had to even think about it we all hit the the wall at like high plat and then yeah. that's it that's the Must end
2: be nice. be nice.
1: <laughs> dude it's it sometimes it's really good to be really bad at something
2: <laughs> yeah and that's what you um,
1: Back. And yeah, I I definitely feel you on on Apex. Apex is has rapidly become one of my favorite games to watch and play. The movement in that game is is fantastic. Let's go.
2: Once Apex is gone, it would be so sad.
1: No, Apex ha- Apex can't can't go. Apex has to stick around. I, I haven't yeah. enjoyed an FPS as much as I've enjoyed Apex in, in a hot second.
2: Big facts, nice.
1: I think, yeah. Before that, it was Team Fortress Two, and before
2: that, it was oh Unreal. Oh my god, two thousand four. Dude, I missed TFT so much.
1: Classic TF2 was an absolute fucking joy. It was... Two Two Fort back in the day. Oh, good times. Good Dude. times on on my like twenty pound laptop from yeah. 2008 or whatever.
2: Dude, what was your class you played most? Oh, I
1: was a, I was a dirty sniper player. Dude, like, <laughs> let's I, go. I I was I was the worst kind of person. I sat oh up my in Two my Fort. Goodness. And I just sniped.
2: That's dope. <laughs> I like that. I play a lot of spy and medic.
1: Oh, Love bad spy, spy player. Oh, spy makes <laughs> me. Spy hurts me. Spy hurts me so much.
2: <laughs> Love that.
1: So I think we're gonna start taking questions in in a couple seconds here from from the audience. So before before we start doing that, uh, I had kind of one more, a little bit personal question. Mm. You, and it's been a while since I've seen this interview. I remember you talking in an interview, maybe in like 2015, 2014, around then, about giving back to your family and, and I believe also the community that you grew up in. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any intentions to to kind of continue some of that that charitable work and and try to be something of, of an ambassador from the league community to
2: to outside communities? I think eventually, yeah. Uh, I don't really know how the logistics will work and stuff like that. I used to stream a lot back in the day and, you know, do some content, but I've never actually done anything like that. So I'm, I'm probably just first time learning. Yeah, I, I do think so. This is my first interview I've taken. Not Is this a, a podcast, rather? I've never actually been on a podcast, I don't think. Yeah, I don't think so. So it's my first podcast I'm doing as well. So a lot, a lot of first things for me. Usually I'm just on the grind, you know, playing yep. practice and stuff like that. But yeah, charitable, <laughs> charitable work will be really awesome to do, whether whatever that, well, whatever holds, you know.
1: I know from from our team, thank you for being your, uh, your first podcast. We're, we're more than happy to have <laughs> you. Genuinely, like, I have had to push down the fact that I'm, actually really fucking excited to do this (laughs) let's go because i've been a a huge fan of yours for so goddamn long so thank you i appreciate that yeah so i think we have a couple audience questions one of them i'll 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 tee this one up for you is support really so easy dude yeah it is so easy still is Okay, so we have Ventus official rebar- remarkable Matt. He's uh, actually an editor for uh, Smash Content Creator that I that I know pretty well.
2: Oh, he asked a question.
1: He asked a question. Let's see if he accepts the invite. I'll give him a few seconds here to. to oh, do they come on
2: it. and ask it? Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. Oh and, uh, shit! Kind of the this is the kind of the fun thing about this this format and doing it on Spaces is the these people get an opportunity to ask okay. some of their favorite creators and YouTubers gamers whatever nice the questions that they have all right ventus you are ready to roll
3: okay uh so this actually does it is kind of smash related um there's an interview with a pro player in melee his name is zane and it, he said something along the lines of like one day i know this game isn't going like it's not going to mean everything to me so what's most important is like what I can get out of the game or like learn from it. And so along those lines, is there anything like as a competitor um, from competing in league or just like being in a team, like skills or things that you've learned that kind of translate to the person you are today or just like out of game in real life stuff in general?
2: Yeah, good question. Yeah. Uh... I would say how to talk to people. I've learned the most. Understanding their tendencies, their demeanor, how to realize, you know, everybody's different. Can't talk to everybody the same. Nobody, you know, understands solutions the same. You got to come up with a different type of solution. Uh, That's probably the number one thing that I have learned and gotten out of playing League of Legends competitively. And I've taken that to every team I've been on where, you know, there's really no one else on the team where you have someone who can communicate like that and, you know, bring people together. Sometimes it's the coach, sometimes it's just me. And so I think I've enjoyed that part where, you know, I've worked with apparently over 1780 80 carries and, you know, I don't, I've, I've enjoyed my time with all of them, I would say.
3: Okay, that makes a lot of sense. I remember you did an interview where you you referenced like the Hike OVA, um, where oh, they're man. like, Oh, you connect. It was the one uh in between with Travis. Yeah, it was in between season three and four where they're like, Oh, you're they're all the players are like connecting and synergizing. So I, it, that really lines up with that interview. I also love hike So uh I like the <laughs> connection there. It's funny that your answer like really connects with that too um but yeah thanks for answering i appreciate it all right
1: our next question our next question is from christian 1334 i believe 13324 christian uh, if you're there go ahead hey
0: zach how you doing good i doing. so my question was was there any team during your career or org that you wished you were part of
2: any org i wish i was part of I think I've been on most of them except cloud nine. I was on TSM before LCS, which was cool. Yeah. I think only cloud nine, probably when uh, sneaky was playing, that would be fun. So I used to be doing with him a lot back in the day.
1: And hey, we have one more question or actually, I think we have two more questions. One from a uh, Kathy Rin. Uh, Kathy, go ahead.
0: It's also Kimiko, Kathy. I don't know if you remember me.
2: I remember you. How's it going?
0: It's going all. I hope you've been well. Um, Obviously, been a fan of you for a long time and was always trying to send you like words of encouragement and like low moments and like celebrated, celebratory moments and was wondering if there was any kind of words that you would have said to like your past self, like to hey like hey celebrate this moment or hey like live in this moment and learn from this or any kind of words like that to your past self
2: any kind of words probably probably hang out at the after parties a lot more especially when we won most of the time I was just so tired from screaming on stage I would just go to sleep right after but uh probably yeah hang out with my teammates and uh just enjoy the moment because you know, you're not really going to get that too often uh, once you're you know, moving forward in your career.
1: And I think we have one final question from uh, from Robert Kakarot Slays. Uh, Robert, we sent you an invite. If if you can't answer it and, or if you can't get the invite in the next like 30 seconds or so, we will I will ask the question for you. OK, no response from from Robert. So I will I will ask this last one. Before we uh before we end the interview, what's your most f- memorable moment from your career?
2: Most memorable moment, probably, Well, for me, is just when I won the first time. A lot of hard work going into that, leading up to it. i haven't won in a while, was there, when g was at the bottom <laughs> of hell, pretty much, <laughs> and then finally winning it all is, you know, very very awesome. Uh, definitely a surreal moment. I mean, going into that tournament, we knew we were going to win no matter what. Like, our practice, we're literally dominating everybody. I don't think we dropped the game. So, just having that type of confidence going into a tournament is unmatched. Like, it was awesome.
1: That's our show. Thanks for listening to my interview with Avramu. If you liked this content and want more content like this, you can find all our other episodes of Visionaries on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. If you like this content, please leave a a review on any of your favorite podcast platforms, but specifically uh, Apple Podcasts is the most valuable for us because it helps us uh, be seen by more people. Special thanks to Sammy Daig and Jacob Wolf for their help on this episode. And we will see you next week with another episode of Visionaries.